office. Your office. Yeah, look at it. My chair is more comfortable. For you. Therefore, it is my office. We just got new chairs for recording because our we were recording on like crappy kitchen chairs that I got for like that and a table for like twenty five bucks on Craigslist. It was terrible. We were sitting on Craigslist chairs. That's bad. Yep. <laughs> and now we have fancy chairs from Staples. Ooh. Now we're sitting on Staples. Nope. Sponsor. <laughs> no, they're not sponsoring us. Unfortunately. I mean, I don't know. I guess I don't dislike them. That'd be fine. Yeah. Oh, oh we need to be sponsored by nuts.com. Nuts.com. Full of nuts. And everything else. It's a nutty, nutty, nutty world. And super fast shipping. Get your nuts for lunch, crunch, and munch. Like, suspiciously, <laughs> suspiciously fast shipping. Yeah. Like, they... They must be lying. They they paid off someone to get that fast <laughs> shipping. And you're like, people need organs, and they're going to be my nuts <laughs> the same day. Like a beautiful ice pack in there. <laughs> like it's some, like it actually well, is Well, there's so liver. many gifts, too, that were yeah. weird that you're like, I didn't order this. I didn't order this. I was this. like, you ordered a butt ton of crap. And yeah. I was like, no. No, like they gave me a... They just gave you a whole bunch of crap. I think just because it was like the day after Father's Day. They're like, here's one of our free Father's Day things that sure. we were going to charge you a lot for. But uh, we have extra and <laughs> it's over now. And no one wants so. them now. So here's a stein full of nuts. Thanks. And it says dad on it. I love nut steins. I love dads. <laughs> yeah, we know. <laughs> Maybe they don't know, but I know. <laughs> oh my gosh, dads. you know what I didn't know? What? That game is produced by Game Grumps. Oh, really? And my boys voice people that are the dads. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I don't know if I can find them hot, though, if I know, like, oh, that's just Dan. I think you'll still, I think it'll still it's work like, for you. You're not Dan. You're that a, might be, that might be better. You're a dad. You're a dad. You're a buff dad. You're, you're a Dan dad. You're not a Dan dad. You are a Dan dad. <laughs> oh, terrible. Hello. Well, <laughs> hi. Welcome to Hysterical History. A broad perspective. I'm Alexis. I'm Haley. And uh, <clears throat> usually we don't talk so much about dads or nuts or any of those things. <laughs> dads or nuts. <laughs> dads or, or nuts. Or chairs or staples. Or nuts. But, you know, there's always got to be a, a pre-roll to get into it. We, we, <laughs> Apparently you didn't clear your throat, though. <laughs> we pretty. <laughs> so uh, today I'm going to talk to you about some food disasters. Uh, I'm so ready. It's great. I love food disasters. That should be my DJ name. Food disaster? <laughs> food disaster. DJ food disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good like punk band name, too. Food disaster. <laughs> food disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm going to be talking to you. Do you know uh, what I'm talking about, Haley, today? Uh, molasses, murder, and mm-hmm. butter uh, crisis. Yes. But you thought I was only going to talk about one molasses flood, oh and I'm going to talk to you about ah, three molasses floods. Yes! Three? Three. Three is too many molasses floods. <laughs> There's The main one that I've heard about before and that I looked up is significantly worse than the other two. That's not enough. <laughs> but like, This one just murdered more people. But... Uh, it's this we've in America we've Terrible. had three. Terrible. How do you not like 
How do you? How? Why, why, do, <laughs> well, you, why do you keep doing this? I'll tell you how. Um, but the first one... So, so our main one's going to be the Great Molasses Flood in Boston in 1919. Boston? Um, but the first one is in New Orleans in 1911. Um, and they were home to the largest molasses storage depot in the world. See, for some reason it makes more sense when it's New Orleans. Because it's hot? Like, it's hot, and I I don't know. That's just the sort of thing that's like, yeah. <laughs> you expect more disasters yeah. from there. If you say anything it's with, like, like flood. hurricanes and yeah, stuff. Yeah, anything with flood in the name, like, yeah, it probably happened in Louisiana. In New Orleans. They, yeah. I mean, they should have just raised their levees, something. Right. They don't, and, I don't think they have the levees yet in 1911. Well, that's why. That's why they get covered in molasses. That's not why. <laughs> You know, everyone's always drinking. It's always a big party. The molasses gets out and kills no, people. It no, happens. It happens. No. Yeah, that's how it works. When I tell the story. <laughs> I mean, what's more suspicious is that like there's no voodoo going on in Boston. What's their hmm. excuse? Well, yeah, there's no witch doctors. I'll tell you. Okay, is that racist? Just calm down. Okay. <laughs> Um, but they have the largest storage depot in the world, the Sugar Planter Storage and Distribution Company. My what, favorite company. What is it when you just take the initials? Uh, SPSD. SPSD? Yes. SPSD. Um, and on September 11th, I'm quoting directly, something went horribly wrong. It always does. <laughs> the tank burst and the city was inundated with brown sticky goo. But jet fuel can't burn molasses. More than a million gallons of the stuff. That's too many gallons of molasses. Imagine. <laughs> Imagine. I'm still quoting. <laughs> the streets of New Orleans flowing with a river of slow-moving molasses up to 15 feet deep in some no. spots. No. No. A quarter of a mile what? away, the molasses was reported to be filling the streets to up to a depth of 12 inches. A quarter of a mile away. Still a foot deep. Fifteen feet is deep enough that you can uh, dive into it, and the lifeguards won't get mad at you. Mm-hmm. And the, it ends with "That's a lot of molasses." <laughs> <laughs> like you didn't know already. <laughs> uh, in case you weren't aware, that's a lot. That's a lot of molasses. That's a lot of molasses. Was it hot? Uh, it's September 11th, so probably. Well, in I'm Louisiana. I don't mean the like the weather. I mean the, oh, the molasses? the molasses. I mean, it's not gonna be hotter than the out like the outside world. Okay. It wasn't like heated. No, it's okay. just in a storage tank. Okay. Um, and there were city rescue teams. Um, uh, people were trapped in their houses. Animals get stuck. <laughs> Um, and it says the going was sticky. Oh, gosh. I hate whoever <laughs> oh, wrote this. It was a sticky situation. But nobody died. Oh, no. Um, but it was awful to clean up, it says. You know, uh, what I... <laughs> this is terrible. I really wanted it to be a kind of early Katrina-esque experience where, like, the president wouldn't call in the National Guard. <laughs> people are trapped on their no. roofs for, like, days. I mean, people are trapped in their houses for days <laughs> because it's up too high. <laughs> Uh, it also says it didn't help that two great water mains broke, no. making the streets flow with more uh, molasses soup. Molasses and, soup. And then the flies showed up. Oh, no! <laughs> it's it's the plagues of Egypt all over again. <laughs> and I want to say, this is, uh, this is apparently the first time this happens in America, right? So when it happens in Boston, we should have, like, mild experience with it. Because this is only eight years before that. Everything changed. I mean, Boston's a significantly different situation, but... Um, we'll see how Boston reacts. And then there's another one. There's a third. There's a third one. It's after Boston. 
Oh, no. um, it says, those who managed to find high ground made a bad situation a bit better. They filled their jugs and buckets and spent the next few months living high on the syrup. There you go. I don't totally know what that means. Uh, I mean, have you ever been to New Orleans? No. I mean, well, maybe that's why. There you go. But... <laughs> So this article I read about it, it was, like, on some, like, person's, like, personal website. I also, like, read a primary source about it, like, from Times Magazine that year or something. Sure. Uh, Or whatever it was called then. Um, But someone commented on this article, and I have to read you their comment because it was the most ridiculous thing that confused me a lot. That I've ever read, I think. When when was the article and when was the comment? The comment is from 2015. I think the article okay. also... Or the article, like the original article was in 1911. Okay. This person's blog post or whatever was in 2015. Sure. But Ronald Rice... Ronald. Posted... Ronald. On December 7th at 20, or 2015 at 2.28 p.m. Where can I buy this molasses? Like from the flood? Where can I buy this molasses? Like, he wants to buy jugs of the molasses from that flood. Where? Oh, let's, <laughs> and I'm just like, why? Listeners, what? let's dissect this question. Where can I buy this molasses? He also spelled molasses wrong. Uh, molasses. <laughs> yes. Mole, mole, as, as, as in, uh. Molasses. Molasses. I mean, we don't know where he's from. Maybe that's how they pronounce it in his land. Maybe. But he wants to buy the molasses <laughs> from wants, the 1911 flood where, where in New Orleans. Where would you buy the molasses? Why does you, he want it? You know where I think you buy the molasses? You have to go to New Orleans. You know how they have the really old, like, above-ground cemeteries? Somewhere sure. there are molasses uh, strata. Mm. You, like archaeologists have sure. to, you have to go back to that time, and there's going to be a thin layer of molasses, right? From back, like you somewhere, know, you know, like when ash like yeah. covers certain strata. Like we still we still have ash in like, in Moses Lake from like when Mount St. Helens blew in like the exactly. 80s. So if you go there, there's going to be a thin layer of molasses <laughs> inside the very foundation of the city, and I say specifically the the graveyards because they're not going to be like building on that right. significantly. And, like, super upkept. Also, people aren't going to be mad if you start digging in the graveyard. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. They're like, what are you doing? And just be like, I'm looking for the molasses. And they're like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Please yeah. get rid of you it. You are a molasses <laughs> prospector. <laughs> okay, we're going to move on now <laughs> to um, Boston's. We, we need, sorry, we just need flood. to comment on to Ronald. We need to find Ronald, Ronald. Rice. Ronald Rice commenting. Tell him to go to the graveyards. Tell him you need to become. Ronald, if you're listening. Ronald, <laughs> if you're listening. Have you ever seen, um, what's it called? Don't know. Uh, oh, no. What was that movie with Lincoln in it? That's the guy, really vague. The guy who played. Oh, no. There's so many Lincoln movies. Oh, no. The one where he's a vampire? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. no. <laughs> I mean, he always looks like a vampire. No. Oh, no. I don't know, Haley. It was so famous, a movie. It's so famous, a man. Why can't I remember? <laughs> I know who you mean, um, uh, but I don't remember his name. Lincoln. Movie. It's a guy who, who like, stays in character the whole time. Always. He's a method actor. He's a method actor. What's his name? Oh, no. Why can't... Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> yes. What else was he in? 
He's in everything. Not not good enough. Not good enough. You can you can get rid of this, but I'm. I mean, I will. Daniel, Day Lewis. But not all of it because some of it is important to the joke. Okay. No. All. I'll what just were, make you edit this part. What were you in? There will be blood. Okay. That's what it was. There will be molasses. There will be molasses, Ronald. <laughs> you you got to drink up all their molasses. Okay. Can we go to Boston now? <laughs> okay. I just want to make sure Ronald is covered. <laughs> I think he's good. I don't think he listens to this either, but I think if he did, he'd be good. I mean, we need to find him and be like, Ronald, we answered your question. Sure. You, got, you had a question about historical molasses, and uh, we got you covered. So this one's called The Great Molasses Flood, it's or The Boston Molasses Crisis. It's, uh, it's the, the big one. Or this one is, says, The Great Molasses Flood of 1919, Boston's version of Pompeii. I don't know if you guys know what Pompeii is, but it's when a volcano exploded and people got petrified trying to run away from it. And it's a very important, uh, like, archaeological uh, Yes, because they're place. perfectly preserved. Everything's preserved. Like dogs in the middle of running away from the explosion. Mm-hmm. So the molasses flood is not quite that intense or important or interesting or anything. I mean, let's, let's hear them out. <laughs> it might be. So, says, so basically they have a giant tank of molasses, or I think more than one, um, in Boston. Mm -hmm. And they're using, like, a distillery is using it, the Purity Distilling Company is using it to make booze. Strength through purity. Purity through unity. Unity through booze. Um, (laughs) That's going to be my tagline when I start a food disaster. (laughs) Unity through booze. (laughs) Um... So they're, they're using it to make alcohol, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but 1919 um, is when, like, Prohibition starts. Oh, no. It actually starts the day after this happens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when you take away our booze. No, well, this is, no, no. The, the molasses flood happens, and then the next day, Prohibition starts. Um, wow. So, which they, they're not related in any way, really. I mean, but um, it's just convenient timing. This is what your rum does. But they're also, and, and everybody knew this was coming, Prohibition, mm-hmm. right? Um, you but, the flood. No, no, no. Everyone knows. I mean, some people did. <laughs> but uh, we'll get to that. But um, they knew Prohibition was coming. And so this company not only produces alcohol for drinking, uh, consumption, but also, like, industrial alcohol. So that's mostly what this molasses is going to be used for. Hmm. Um but that's why it's there. Um, it was, and just in case people don't know, molasses is like, at this time, is the standard sweetener in the United States. Like, that's what you use. You don't use, like, granular sugar. You use molasses to sweeten things. Where do you get molasses? Um, that's, it's still, like, cane sugar, isn't it's, it? It's uh, tropical, yeah. So we're importing it. Um, and, but they use it in cooking and making ethanol, and um, in it's a liquid used as an ingredient in munitions manufacture. It's in a whole bunch what? of stuff. Yeah, crazy. Which is a big deal because um, this is right after World War One. I. Um, I don't remember though. Hmm. <laughs> um, but so it's it's important at the time, and it's a pretty booming business. Um, the tank is humongous. It's fifty feet tall. 
90 feet across, what? and can hold 2.5 million gallons of molasses. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's huge. What? A uh, steel tank. Um, that's, that's bigger than our house? It's very big. It's way bigger than our uh, house. And so, oh, just some, some interesting facts about the area that this is in, just so you can feel even worse about the horribleness that's about to happen. Um, around this area... Um, you have 18th century American patriot Paul Revere's house uh, and the house of colonial governor Thomas Hutchinson are in this neighborhood. Um, oh. So it's a decently, like, historic, important area. Uh, I mean, no one expects the molasses flood. That's true. But they should have. <laughs> um, somebody does. <laughs> but it's fine. The Cassandra of this uh, tale. So there was a couple, there was an article that kind of told you what people were doing and what was happening right before. And I think it's like mildly important to the narrative. So I'm going to tell you what it says. Um, so nearby the molasses tank, there's eight-year-old Antonio DiStasio, his sister Maria, and another boy, Pasquale Iantosca. I don't know how to pronounce names. Um, and they're gathering firewood for their families uh, at the family's home. Overlooking the tank, barman Martin Clowardy was still dozing in his bed, having put in a late-night shift at his saloon, the Pen and Pencil Club. <laughs> his last day of business. I will point out, though, I read, multi- like, I read like, 15 articles about this, right? Um, and in different articles, they say different things, right? Like, there's minor facts that are different, um, and some of them are weird, um, so, like, this one says, Pasquale Iantosca and Maria Di Santasio, the kids, were collecting firewood near the molasses tank while home from school for lunch. So they're specifically saying, like, they're, they are collecting firewood, but they're home for lunch, and that's why they're at home. Um, but then a different one said, uh, 10-year-old Maria Di Stasio, one of the neighborhood kids sent by her parents to collect molasses that always seemed to ooze from the tank seams. Hmm. So there are different people saying that they're over there for different things, uh, which these are like, you know, these are old sources, and so you can't have anyone corroborate them now. All these people are dead, basically. If whether they died from the flood or whether they're just too old now, <laughs> they're super but, old, right? If they're alive, even mm-hmm. uh, they'd have to have been children, and they're probably still dead. But uh, so you don't have anyone to corroborate sources, so you just have to go with what people give you. But because of that, I'm telling you the multiple different versions because something in there is probably correct, but I don't know which one it is. Um, it says on January fifteenth, nineteen nineteen, the tank held two point three million gallons of molasses, weighing an estimated twenty six million pounds, uh, almost one and a half times as much weight as the equivalent volume of seawater. So molasses is significantly yeah. more massive, thick, than yeah. water, obviously. Everyone knows that. Massive as in mass. Yes. Um, is January when it happened? Yes. Because molasses don't flow in January. Uh, we'll get to it. Uh, <laughs> so the tank was nearly full on January 15th, which is when it happens, thanks to a recent infusion of 2.3 million gallons, which it only holds 2.5. So before that, there was only 0.2 million gallons in it. But now there's 2.5, the maximum, um, of Puerto Rican molasses that's coming in. Oh, no. Um, And then it says, just after noon, something went horribly wrong. (laughs) (laughs) This is a different article and a different person writing this than the other person who wrote the one about the other flood. Um, Witnesses recall hearing the sound of, like, gunfire. 
Oh no. Um, because the imagine. tank's rivets are yeah, popping out. Uh-huh. And the steel sides rip open. Oh no. The sound of steel ripping is not uh, no. It's not a subtle, gentle sound. Right. Um and there's a quote from the Boston Post that they wrote, uh, a rumble, a hiss, some say a boom and a swish, and the wave of molasses swept out. <laughs> what kind of terrible Dr. Seuss is this? Uh, there's another quote from the New York Times that says, a dull muffled roar gave but an instant's warning before the top of the tank blown into the air. Hmm. Which I, I that's the only source I read that said that the thing shot up, but... How, how much... Is it pressurized? Why is there so much pressure? I don't know. Also, how did it? How is it a wave if it's January? Boston, January. We'll we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Are not sweltering. It will make sense. There's Uh, science at the end. I promise. Gotta know. So suddenly, 26 million pounds comes tearing down Commercial Street uh, in a 15 foot (laughs) wave. It's terrible, but it's so funny. It's so hard. this is this is another part that's going to confuse or confuses me because there's like, I, like I said, I read like 15 articles, and multiple of them give different um, heights and widths of this wave. Well, I'm sure. I mean, with every telling, it's got to gain like another 10 feet. <laughs> you think? <laughs> so this one says 15 foot wave. This one says 15 feet high, 160 feet wide wave. Um, at 35 miles per hour. What? Yes. Froze, frozen molasses? It's not frozen. <laughs> okay, uh, this one says uh, 25 foot tall and ne- nearly as high as a football goalpost and 100 yards wide. So they're saying less wide, taller. Uh, this person says 25 feet high, 160 feet wide, 30 miles an hour. We're, so slower, but taller and wider. Were any of them there? No. Okay. Um, this one says, eyewitness called the 30-foot wave of goo, or wall of goo, later determined to have been 40 feet, <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. 35 miles per hour. Yeah. Um, this one says, wave of syrup, some reports say it was up to 40 feet tall. This one says, 35 feet per hour, or 35 miles per hour, which we've pretty much established that that's how fast it was going. Like, everybody says that um, across the board. Uh, and the power was sufficient to rip buildings off their foundation. Oh, no. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. no. Oh, it caused, <laughs> um, the force of the explosion caused some buildings to collapse and knock others off their foundation. Um, one source said it also created a vacuum immediately afterward that destroyed even more buildings, which I don't totally understand, but only one source told me this, dragged a truck across a street and pulled a train off the tracks. <laughs> I, I mean, those all sound plausible. Yes, and I saw pictures of this um, specifically. There are solid steel supports for an elevated train. They have like a monorail, sure, um, and it uh, snaps them. Oh no! Um, and the, they were made. Oh, no. The elevated train tracks made oh, a ninety no. degree turn as they approached the harbor. Oh no! Right, so they just do this uh-huh. like normally, um, and it says the train or the elevated train. Uh, track buckled just seconds after one train full of passengers had passed oh, and no. moments before another one came around. Oh, no. And uh, oh, <laughs> seeing no. the brown mass surging towards him, Royal Albert Lehman, that's his name. Don't call it a brown mass. Royal Albert Lehman, <laughs> a brakeman for the Boston Elevated, stopped his train and ran up the tracks to stop the second train. Oh, no. So he saved those people. He was able to keep them out. And luckily for them, they're on elevated tracks. So as long as it doesn't actually fall into the molasses, they're safe. If it does, then they're all doomed. Yeah, but they're safe where they are right now because he's able to stop it in time. 
Um, it says the Massachusetts Foundation of Humanities website says the property damage alone totaled $100 million in today's dollars. So remember the people I mentioned earlier? Yeah, the children. Mm-hmm. The innocent children. Antonio D'Astasio, <laughs> Maria D'Astasio, and Pasquale Iantosca the- were all swallowed, instantly swallowed by the torrent. Maria was suffocated to death by molasses, and Pasquale was killed after being struck by a railroad car. Oh, no. Antonio lived but suffered a severe head injury from being flung into a light post. I mean, yeah. Yep. I really, I really want... It's bad. I want their first-person accounts, or that one, because only one lived. Yeah, Antonio. Um, I, mean, I don't know. He's, it says he has a pretty bad head injury, so I don't know that he can tell you. Draw us a picture. Horrifying. Antonio. Um... The Engine 31 firehouse was not clean off its foundation, causing its second story to collapse on its first. Oh, no. <laughs> Molasses! Uh, Martin Clowardy, uh, who is the guy we talked about, the pen and pencil tavern or whatever, um, he had just woken up and he watched his house crumble around him before being thrown into the current. Um, he has, there's a quote from him that says, I was in bed on the third floor of my house when I heard a deep rumble. When I awoke, it was in several feet of molasses. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> uh, he nearly drowned. Oh, no. But he climbed onto his bed frame, which he discovered floating nearby. Uh, that's interesting. I hmm. would So, guys, listeners, wood floats and molasses. There you go. If you hear a rumble and you awaken to find you are in a molasses apocalypse... <laughs> Climb onto something wooden. And you'll be okay. <laughs> uh, it says he was able to make a makeshift boat to rescue his sister, Teresa. Oh, my god! But his mother and younger brother were among those killed in the disaster. I mean, yeah. I'm really, like, can you swim in it? No. At all? You it cannot. sounds sticky. How do you rescue it's people so from thick. it? It's so thick. You can't get huh. Well, that's hard. Um, it pinned Walter Mary Marithu, uh, a railroad clerk on the commercial street wharf, against a wall of a freight shed. Uh, his feet three feet off the ground. Just stuck up there. Just stuck. Floating, stuck. Stick. Uh, and a small boat was found slammed through the wooden fence of like an artillery shell. <laughs> oh, it's, it's real bad. Um, uh, I shouldn't be laughing. There's a quote also from a Boston Post reporter that says, Here and there struggled a form, whether it was animal or human being was impossible to tell. Only an upheaval of a thrashing about in the sticky mass showed where any life was. Oh, dear. Uh, and it continues, Horses died like so many flies on sticky flypaper. <laughs> the more they struggled, the deeper in the mess they were ensnared. Human oh, beings, men and women, suffered likewise. Like so much flies. <laughs> right. Which reminds us earlier of the flies. Um, so one of the firefighters in the firehouse, there are many firefighters in this firehouse, which you would expect them to be, like, helping people, but they are, like, right next to where the molasses tank is. Mm-hmm. So they're immediately taken out, and they can't do anything. Oh, my gosh. It's like um, the molasses planned it. And because <laughs> right, and because of how it collapses the second floor... Like, all their stuff um, is under it. They're trapped under rubble, too. Oh, no. So it's a problem. Um, and one of them manages uh, to stay alive for nearly two hours as he holds himself up, like, on a support beam from being sucked under. But he, like, gets fatigued and he slips under and drowns. Oh, no! That's the worst! Yeah. Two hours. Oh, no! He's just trying to hold on. And, nope. Um, it says they were either knocked over and crushed or drowned. Uh, the flood claimed 21 lives and another 150 people suffered injuries. 
molasses injury. Uh, and, and there's also 12 horses that died, and it says uncounted number of dogs and cats. Oh, no. Um, the disaster injured at least 150 people. Um, when Suffolk County Medical Examiner George Magrath arrived, several bodies had already been pulled from the molasses. Um, he said they looked as though covered in heavy oil skins, eyes and ears, mouth and noses filled oh, with molasses. Oh, sick. <laughs> um, a makeshift hospital, they, uh, they set up about half a mile away from the water, and volunteers removed molasses from victims' nose and mouth so they could breathe. Because they're getting um, drowned or suffocated from it. Um, says those on duty were covered from head to foot with brown syrup and blood, the Boston Post reported. The whole hospital reeked of molasses. It was on the floors, on the walls. The nurses were covered with it, even in their hair. Oh, no. Um, and it says, at the destroyed city stables, police shot injured horses trapped in the molasses. Yeah. Um, there was one quote that said about half of the victims of the flood died basically because they were stuck. Um, so not like not just because they had been like overwhelmed, but like they couldn't get out. Mm-hmm. Um, medics and police officers, it says they arrived pretty quickly, but had to slog through waist deep goo to rescue people. Because um, I, you know, I don't know what else you're gonna do. Right. Um, they actually had people come up from. They had like a local. Um, naval base, uh, and like uh, like 112 guys from there came to help them, like very quickly actually, which was really nice. Um, and then like after that, policemen arrive. Uh, they were on the Navy ship USS Nantucket. It says um, w- within minutes, so they're there really fast, ready to help. But it's still like 21 people are still dead. Um, and they had Red Cross volunteers, whole bunch of people, which is nice, like to see people. First of all, just, like, helping. <laughs> Second of all, like, in action so quickly that, like, obviously they weren't expecting this to happen, but they're very, like, ready to you never expect the help molasses. People. Right. Um, it says, the first responders struggled to wade through the quicksand like molasses, which had begun to harden in the winter chill, but they soon began plucking people from the wreckage. Um, uh, over a few days after, they, like, are, shift, are sifting through the all the uh, wreckage. Mm-hmm. Um, looking for, or trying to recover bodies and looking for anybody st- who still might be trapped. Um, and eventually it would get to 21 people dead, but, like, they didn't find a lot of people for several days. Um, and one victim, a wagon driver named Cesare Nicolo, was not fished out of nearby Boston Harbor until almost four months after. Oh, no. But obviously he's still full of molasses, yeah. so they know how he died. Yeah. Um... They used salt water from the harbor to cut the molasses um, so that they could clean it up faster. It says it eventually took some 87,000 man hours to clean up. Yeah, I'm wondering, like, what the cleanup looks like on this. Yeah, it's pretty bad, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, So the question is, whose fault is this, right? Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. (laughs) Puerto Rico is not among the the suspects. I I mean, I think it's the molasses. It took out the fire station first. <laughs> it knows. It, know, it knew. And the children. And the children. Just went straight for the children. It targeted the children. <laughs> um, so the United States Industrial Alcohol Company, um, it says, was quick to blame everyone's favorite scapegoat. Uh, or 20, big, early, big, big molasses. No, early 20th century scapegoats. Anarchists. Oh, yeah. 
Um, of course. The flood occurred during a period of increased <laughs> terrorist activity. Oh, I want to ask, have you noticed the names of these people who were dying? Like, do they have any theme to you? Oh, they're all, like, super immigrant, like, Italian. Yes. Mm-hmm. Maria D'Astasio. Yeah. yeah. They're very... Cesare. They're very <laughs> Italian. It is. Cesare, yeah. Cesare Nicolo. Mm-hmm. They're very Italian names. Um, it says it occurred during a period of increased terrorist activity from Italian anarchist groups... Uh, which had previously been blamed for dozens of bombings across the country. Oh, dear. Um, and the, Those freaking Italians. <laughs> they're always blowing everything up. Uh, that's why we shouldn't have Italian immigrants. <laughs> Keep them out. Says Haley, <laughs> whose ancestors are Italian immigrants. Uh, <laughs> um, it says their lawyers exploited, or exploited the anti-Italian sentiments already running high in Boston by blaming the explosions on the anarchists. There you go. Um, was it an actual explosion? Like, was there any detonation? Uh, we'll see, hold on. Um, uh, da, da, da. Oh, it says when World War One was still underway in 1918, so the year before, an unidentified man had called the USIA's office and threatened to destroy the tank with dynamite. Okay. So there's a reasonable reason to think this, maybe. Um, with this in mind, the company alleged that the tank had been b- intentionally blown up by evilly disposed persons. Evilly disposed. Disposed by evil. We need to dispose of the evilly disposed. Um, and they claimed that since alcohol was an ingredient in the munitions, that they wanted to, uh, or that they had sabotaged it by detonating a bomb. Okay. And that that's why they wanted to get rid of it. Sure. Um... Which, like, kind of makes sense with World War One too, so I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, since we're, we in Italy, we're not, like, super cool friends. Yeah. Um, there's another theory that the molasses, or another theory that people had thought was that the molasses might have fermented in the tank, which led to the explosion. Interesting. Um, it says, but investigators soon found the real culprit, absurdly shoddy construction work. <laughs> yeah. So the tank is built in 1915. Sure. Um, oh, so it's like new. It's pretty new. Pretty new. Uh, when World War I increased the demand for industrial alcohol, um, but the construction had been rushed and haphazard because it's wartime. Sure. Um, and it says, so there's, I read a whole bunch of articles about this where people were like, we finally know what did it. And I'm like, I'm positive. I have read an article before <laughs> this where somebody said like, hey, this is not good. Yeah. Like, and they had been warned ahead of time, and they were like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. And I did find sources that said that. So it was so weird to me that they're like, finally, in 2015, we finally. figured out what did it. We did it. I did it. Me. Right. And I was like, we, we already knew what did it. I don't understand. Like, literally someone before it exploded said, hey, mm-hmm. this is not going to work. This isn't, like, super good. Right. Um, it says at least one of the USIA's employees warned his bosses that it was structurally unsound. Um and then all they did was recalk it. I mean, you're going to kill some Italian immigrants. You'll get more. It's fine. You have reserves. Um, apparently, regularly, these uh, mostly Italian immigrants, but also Irish immigrants around there. Um, also disposable. Yeah. <laughs> Especially at this uh, time. No one cares. It's true. Uh, they had grown accustomed to hearing rumbles and metallic creets oh, from no. the tank. Oh, no. Regularly. Oh, no. 
Um, so when it really starts rumbling, they don't even hear it. Right. And this is this is a quote I have. I think it's from a Mental Floss article. It says, The company had been in such a hurry to get the tank built back in 1915 that it didn't cut corners so much as it ignored the co- corners completely. They made a, a round job of it. You know what? Corners are stupid. We don't need Let's corners. Let's just not. Corners are for squares. <laughs> hey, it's hip to be square. Um... Square is going to murder you. Modern studies have found that the tank walls were too thin and made of steel that was too brittle to withstand the volume of molasses. Oh, no. Um, I don't know where, I th- or if I put it in here, I, but one source told me it was built with the same steel that the Titanic was built out of. I mean... <laughs> so, like, super so sturdy under cold weather, especially. Yep. Yep. But real and real brittle, just fold like a house of cards if you do the right, whatever you need to do oh, to it. Man. Um, the person who built it um, wasn't an engineer or an architect. Uh, he couldn't even read a blueprint. They got like an art student, like, hey, could you design? <laughs> no, he was just like a random. I just got a man on the street. It said somewhere what he did, but he was. I think he worked for their company, but he doesn't know how to do it. They got Ted from accounting to yeah, build this. They're like Ted. I need you to do this real quick. Hey, uh, um, Stephen. <laughs> now the quote says, basically it threw up a giant tank as quickly as cheaply as possible, skimped on inspections and safety tests, and hope for the best. Cross your fingers. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Um, it's just some molasses. <laughs> in light of these details, it's amazing that the tank held together for four years. <laughs> yeah. uh, especially under all that molasses. Mm-hmm. Nearby residents reported that the tank had leaked during its construction. Mm-hmm. And rather than fix the problem, the United States Industrial Alcohol Company had painted the tank brown, so the leaks the leaks would be less noticeable. I mean, Just paint it brown. Like it's already going to be brown. Fixed. Fixed it. Done. Like those uh, that one story, like the two kids like went and like got some of the leaked molasses out of it. Yeah, that's one of the stories, and I think it's because they said it leaks regularly. So I, I feel like that's like probably not true mm-hmm. that they're just like it sounds like it's even worse mm-hmm. that it's like leaking regularly so they're like ooh free molasses you know right. and it also makes the Italians sound really cheap <laughs> of course so it's like it's uh, a twofer those freaking Italians they they can't even buy their own molasses right they I think I think the firewood's much more likely and I read that in multiple sources too where I only read the molasses one in one and I feel like in order to get it, they would either have to, like, very strategically position buckets, which they could do, or they would... It's really tall, so they'd have to, like, get up on it. And I just... It doesn't sound plausible to me. But anyway, um, February, a month after the disaster, um, they're, so they're, they're investigating, like, how this happened, right? Um, and Wilfred Bolster, who's the chief judge of Boston Municipal Court... Wilfred. Wilfred Bolster. Wilfred. He made public the results of his investigation into the tragedy and blamed the tank itself, saying evidence indicated that this was wholly insufficient in point of structure and strength to handle its load. It's not um, the tank's fault. It's people who built it. He Wilfred, also held Wilfred. USIA to be guilty of manslaughter. There you go. Um, and their district attorney, Joseph Pelletier, uh, then represented or presented evidence to a grand jury, right, because that's how they decide whether or not they're going to pursue it, usually, or sometimes. Um, which decided that the tank had been built without sufficient inspection and its plans and construction by the city. The jury stopped short of charging the company with manslaughter, though. I mean. Um, But in February 1919, a professor from Massachusetts Institute of Technology, C.M. Stafford, um, examined pieces of the shattered tank and stated that its shell had been too thin and it had been held together with too few rivets. That's MIT for people who... uh, Mm -hmm. 
don't listen to words like I do. Massachusetts Institute of Technology, yeah. MIT, which is a pretty big deal. And I even in 1919, pretty yeah. big deal. Um, it's like a pretty big deal. Kind of. It's like a pretty big deal. <laughs> uh, but, of course, like people will not accept this. So the USIA found itself named as the defendant in 125 lawsuits. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, it says, which led to a legal battle that nearly matched the flood scale. And I'm like, did it? Sp- How many people died in the lawsuits? <laughs> 21. <laughs> 22. And 12 horses. <laughs> like so many flies. Um, it's a very long case, obviously, or like all of the litigation. Um, the closing arguments alone, it says, took 11 weeks. <laughs> oh, ooh. And 11 weeks? For closing arguments. Oh, just for closing arguments. Yes. Yeah. Not the whole case. That's closing arguments, which is just like, in conclusion, <laughs> what? this what is how your, I feel. What are your arguments? <laughs> what? What is the, what is the defense saying? Also, so this is in like 1919, right? And they finished this court case in April 1925. What? Do we, I mean, we must have transcripts, right? I'm sure they exist. What is the defense saying? I mean, they're saying explosions from Italians. Oh, the Italians did it. It was dynamite. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, or they're saying, I'm sure they're claiming, like, something about wartime, you know, and, like, doing the best they could. Yeah. And, like, that... They had tried to recalk it and do everything, and they just couldn't handle a big shipment or something. Don't know. Whatever. But you, um, but you still did it. But Kieran... Oh, I can't even speak. <laughs> Colonel Hugh Ogden. Um, Colonel. Colonel Hugh Ogden. Colonel Hugh... Nope. He's a He's an auditor assigned to the case. Uh, it took him six years to hear testimony from 3,000 <laughs> oh, witnesses. Oh. Um, oh, no. And he finally finished his report, and he concluded that there was no evidence to support the company's theory of anarchist saboteurs. Yeah. Um, he found the factor of safety in the tank's construction and inspection had been woefully low. Um, and the USIA was liable for damages and paid around $7,000 to the family of each victim. Yikes. Which at that time is pr- that's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, and it's not total, it's like per person. Per family of each victim. Mm-hmm. So hopefully you only have one victim in your family. Yeah. Or else you're not getting any more. Um, and <clears throat> it says by the time the hearing was over three years later, he had listened. See, that this is another thing because this one says like, oh, 3,000 witnesses. And then this one says 921 witnesses. And then this one's like more than, or almost 1,000 witnesses. And I'm like, I don't care how many. <laughs> um, but it says it was twenty almost 25,000 pages of transcript for the... I think for the trial, and uh, the lawyers presented 1,584 exhibits. Oh my god! Of evidence, uh, longest and most expensive civil suit in Massachusetts history. Still, huh? Uh, I mean, I mean, don't it's usually not that bad. Don't try to top it. Yeah, please but don't. Uh, <laughs> maybe try to top it. Uh, and he re- and uh, <laughs> that's embarrassing. The colonel, our auditor, he recommended around three hundred thousand dollars in damages, equivalent to thirty million dollars today. Uh, with about 6,000 going to the families of those killed, which, once again, said 7,000, 6,000 numbers. Um, and 25,000 to the city of Boston, and 42,000 to the Boston Elevated Railroad Company, right? Because they have to fix their railroad now mm-hmm. because of your thing. Uh, so they later paid the flood victims in total uh, $628,000 in damages. And that's equivalent of $8 million today that they had to pay to them. Plus, they just lost all of that molasses. 
So it's oh, just yeah. like poor them. Not that I'm saying poor them. No, but I'm just saying like that's both of those are humongous hits to like their company. Yeah, and, like their any uh, money they have. Does that company even exist today? I have no idea. Don't think so. Probably not. Um, and it but but it led to states passing laws um, for architecture projects that they needed to be sound, obviously. Right. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, and it says it tore through the city's north end and deposited so much gooey residue that locals claim they could smell molasses still for warm on warm days <laughs> decades later. That see, I'm telling you, it was it, it was seeps in. absolutely not a joke. If you burrow into the ground in these places, you can find molasses. Are you ready for science, Haley? Yes. Oh my, my god! Science so section. we we binge watched like most of Making a Murderer yeah. last night because I had never seen it. So right now I'm like mostly into the science and the court aspect. Right. Here we go. Of it. Science. I'm prime. This is not did not happen at the time. Okay. <laughs> this is current time science. Science does not happen in 1915. 1919. But sure. Or 20. But now. <coughs> um so there's this person, uh, a human. Nick or Nicole Sharp, it says, who's a Denver-based aerospace engineer and fluid dynamicist. What? Nicole. Nicole Sharp. Marry me. You're so cool. <laughs> uh, and she read together. So she's studying the molasses flood, right? I like, think it was for like a project in one of her classes. Sure. And she said, together relevant details about the flood and its aftermath. I've read hundreds of pages of historical accounts and contemporary newspaper articles, studied century-old maps of buildings in the area, and even called the National Weather Service to request historical meteorological data. That's so cool. I love Nicole. Because she heard about this. I think it's her, and I think there's also another group. Um, they heard about this, and then they were like, what? Because they're like, how how is the molasses so fast right. in January? Like that doesn't make sense to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, how are people like? Because it seems like it's an, clearly knocking people over, right? But then people like right after are just getting stuck. Mm-hmm. But if it's like thin enough to move that fast, you should be able to move out of it. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, I don't understand what's happening. Which is why I said just wait and I'll explain it to you. Oh my gosh, tell me science. Tell me all the science. Which made me really happy because I didn't know anything about this, right? Um, You weren't a molasses specialist? No, I I did not. (laughs) Like fluid dynamics and molasses? Right, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) With my history degree? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I did a lot of fluid dynamics. I mean, maybe if you studied this, perhaps you would be a little specialized on it. Maybe. Um, It says researchers found at the time of the collapse, the air temperature would have been 41 degrees Fahrenheit or 5 degrees Celsius. Mm -hmm. Um, The molasses, however, had arrived from the Caribbean to top off the tank only two days before the flood and was likely a balmy 50 to 68 degrees, 10 to 20 degrees Celsius. the temperature wouldn't equalize very fast if it's molasses. And in a steel tank. A steel tank. That's the thing. It's holding it in. Um, Boston winter temperatures would have cooled it down, but it would still likely have been a few degrees warmer than the surrounding area. So it's warmer in there than it is outside. Uh, That's what she's saying. Temperatures dipped just below freezing the night following the accident. Uh, based on our data, it says it's possible the viscosity of the molasses increased by a factor of four or more due to the drop in temperature. That does not sound like a big difference, but the high viscosity of the molasses was a major factor for rescue work. Um, and it says historical accounts have said the tank walls groaned after such deliveries, presumably due to the mixing between the warm and the cold molasses. That's a problem. I, uh, it's Nicole Stone quoting. That's a problem I'd like to simulate using compunct computational fluid dynamics both to try and address the rumbling described by accounts and to have a clear idea of what temperature the molasses might have been at the time of the disaster. Uh, it says the, fi- the physics of it are relevant to other disasters that might affect the public, including industrial spills or breaking levees. 
Um, but their main goal for the project was just, like, education on that specific topic. Sure. But they're like, this could be helpful and other things. Um, and then there's another study. Uh, oh, it says, uh, <laughs> this is going to make me sound so smart. Um, <laughs> unlike water, molasses is a non-Newtonian fluid. So, uh, meaning it changes viscosity or thickness um, and based on the outside forces that are applied. Yep. So... Uh, the more pressure you put on it, the more solid it becomes. Right. And this is this are quotes from the other guy I was talking about who did his own thing. Uh, his, his name is Jabber, J-A-B-R. Yeah. Um, he says, can, and, and he gives specifics, which I really appreciate because I'm not a scientist. Um, he says, consider non-Newtonian fluids such as toothpaste, ketchup, and whipped cream. Um, in a stationary bottle, these fluids are thick and goopy and do not shift much if you tilt the container this way or that. Uh, but when you squeeze or smack the bottle, however, applying stress, the fluids suddenly flow. Because of this property, uh, a wave of molasses is even more devastating than a typical tsunami. Trying to swim through the molasses would have been futile. Anyone trapped in the gel- gelatinous molasses, try to say that ten times fast, uh, would stay in place like a gnat trapped in tree sap. Um, so basically the conclusion of it is that it's warmer than the air outside, mm-hmm. so at first it's pretty thin and it's moving very fast, and that's why it's able to go so fast. Okay. Um, because you know, there's even like a a saying, right? Like um, molasses on like going as slow as molasses on a cold day, mm-hmm. a cold winter's day. It's like it doesn't go very fast right. when it's moving at all. It's ridiculously slow. Um, but because it's warmer, and then it's going really fast, and then it cools down and just like traps you and just mm-hmm. stuck. And then, so first, when it's coming, it might have had enough, like, force and, like, been warm enough to move quickly and move you, and then all of a sudden, it's not, Mm -hmm. because it's cooled down so quickly. Sure. Um, And then you're just trapped. Then you're trapped. So it's like the only time that you could have actually moved through it and gotten out of it was right when it was humongous and attacking you, (laughs) and then, when you finally, like, know what's going on and are calmed down, you're trapped. Yeah, and then it solidifies and gets sticky. And it's terrible. Sticky situation. Uh, it says, students performed experiments in a walk-in refrigerator uh, to model how corn syrup standing in for molasses would behave in cold temperatures. With that data, they applied the results um, to a full-scale flood, projecting it over the map of North End. The results, Ms. Sharp said, generally match the accounts from the time. There you go. So, cool. science has proven this is correct. I love it. And she says, historical record says that the initial wave of molasses moved at 35 miles per hour, which sounds outrageously fast. Which is why at first they were like, that's not real. Like, you're clearly exaggerating. And they were not. Um, That's so fast. And she says, at the time, people thought that there must have been an explosion in the tank initially to cause it to move that fast. Uh Right? That there had to be some sort of catalyst to push it forward. Um, but after the team ran experiments, she said it discovered that molasses could indeed move at that speed. It's like a running horse fast. Yeah. It's crazy. And I mean, just imagine you're just standing there and you get hit by a running horse, except for it's a giant wave of black, brown uh, goo yeah. death. <sighs> um, she said, or she, it says Miss Sharp and Mr. Rubenstein, I'm assuming they work together, said they would like to eventually build an entire course around the disaster, like oh for gosh. school. That's so fun. Right? Oh, That's amazing. Outrun the molasses it's, children. <laughs> well, not that kind of course. <laughs> a school course. No, I imagine. Not an obstacle course. <laughs> no, Haley. Oh, no. You want your degree? You gotta run for it. No. Use your science skills no. to live. No. <laughs> oh, not, my that's God. That's not what they're saying. <laughs> 
I was saying they're going to do a whole class around it, though, which I do think well, is really interesting, especially for fluid dynamics. I'm like, that yeah. has to be an extremely like, helpful tool. I love that um, I immediately was like, we were both like, cool, for completely different, different reasons. reasons. <laughs> like, that's so badass. Uh, it says they could apply what they learn in other classes to understanding not just why the molasses behaved the way it did, but also what other forces shaped the events of that day in 1919. Cool. So they'll also do, like, some history and stuff in there, too. And I was yeah. like, that would be a super fun class, and I would love it. Mm-hmm. Um, it says, the Boston molasses disaster, it's also called, uh, Mr. Rubenstein said, uh, is a beautiful story for teaching. <laughs> And I agree. Teachers are great. Here we are. Yeah, teachers are cool. So uh, there's some other random things about this. There's like when you so you can go to this area in Boston, right? But there's almost nothing about it there at all. Mm -hmm. They just erased it from history. They scrubbed it away and pushed in the ocean. Bye bye. Boston, what are you doing? Um, It says the best way to see the site where it's marked because there is a plaque, Um, (laughs) the tiniest little plaque. The best way to find it is. to make a self-guided tour while walking along, or a small detour while walking the, the self-guided Freedom Trail. Oh, the Freedom Trail. Uh, tour, which is in Boston's North End. But she said to, like, get a good straight-on picture of it, you have to, like, crouch. Like, it's literally, like, down low, hidden from oh, people. And you okay. have to, like, and it's not on the Freedom Trail, you have to take a detour from the Freedom Trail sure. tour. Um, also, we've been playing a ton of Fallout 4, so... Yep. We're, we're deep <laughs> Freedom in Freedom Trail's great. We're, we're deep in the Boston. Yeah. Um, so there's a website called themolassesflood.com. Of course. Which is not about the flood at all. What? I went to it and I was like, what? What um, are you doing? It's an independent game studio committed to creating games with heart. Um, with uh, sugary murder hearts? They created a survival game called The Flame and the Flood, but I have no idea if it's related at all. What would the flame be? Don't know. The flame of life being put out? <laughs> the explosions. I don't think it's related, really. The, a- the anarchist explosions? But remember I told you there are three, right? There's three. There's three molasses floods. Uh-oh. This one isn't so much a flood. It's called the Honolulu Molasses Spill. Oh, no. Um, oh. Hawaii. Can you guess uh, what year this was in? Ooh. It's, so it's after Boston. It's after, so it's after 1920, even. Yes, because they would have mentioned it in the trial if it. Uh, wasn't. Yes, gosh, I really want to say it's like modern, like nineteen eighty two thousands, maybe even. Um, it says the Honolulu molasses spill was a spill of fourteen hundred tons of molasses into Honolulu Harbor in September twenty thirteen. Ooh, four years ago. Four years ago. Four years ago. Right into the harbor. Uh, it says molasses is an unregulated product. And neither Matson nor government officials, so Matson's like their like governor or something, um, had a contingency plan. What? So they just like weren't prepared in any way at all, despite the fact that there have been two molasses floods yeah. in the country before, uh, big ones. And they're like, eh. also, you live in a hot state where molasses does flow, and uh, where they produce it. So yeah. like, where they produce it? What? Um, How is it like when they say unregulated? Do they do they just mean? I like, mean, I guess they mean by the government. What? How do you have huge unregulated substances? I have no idea. What? Uh, it's probably the molasses lobby. <laughs> probably. <laughs> it says uh, divers in the harbor area reported that all sea life in the area was killed. Oh, of course. By the molasses, That's which instantly terrible. sank to the bottom of the harbor and caused widespread deoxygenation. <laughs> no. Members of various coral species were injured or killed, and I more mean, than 26,000 fish and members of other marine species suffocated and yeah, died. Yeah. Duh. Since such spills are almost impossible to clean up, 
The plan focuses on their, their plans for currently focus on prevention and early detection <laughs> since they can't clean it up. Yeah. Uh, with regular inspections of pipelines and monitor, hourly monitoring of transmission operations. Sounds that for molasses. Sorry about your coral. Um, it's only been grown for millions of years. So I'm not just talking about molasses the other day. I'm also talking about butter. <laughs> One of the headlines I read for the, this is the Norwegian butter crisis is what it's called. Yes. Um, I wanted to end with something light and funny. Something light and buttery. Yeah. You know, butter's a lot lighter than molasses. So. Yeah. Um, so one of, the, one of the articles I read had the title, Butter Shortage Puts Knife into Norwegian Christmas Plans. <laughs> oh, no. Right in its back. Haley, can you guess when this happens? Oh, uh, I think we discussed it. It's, it's pretty old. When, when do you think it was? Uh, 1500s. No. No? It's a 2011. Oh, well. You thought it was old because I said there weren't a lot of sources. Oh, yeah. But that doesn't mean it's old. <laughs> it sounds like a like a renaissance thing, doesn't it? It does, but it's 2011. <laughs> Norway, for frick's sake. Says they were gripped with, uh, I'm not going to pronounce this right because I don't speak any Nordic languages, despite being very a very strong Nordic heritage. Um, but they were gripped with smur panic, which is butter panic. That's what that means. As a result of the I butter shortage, I mean they do now. It just it just is butter hyphen panic. So it's not really a word. Butter panic. You ready to hear the best quote I read while reading yes. this entirely? Give it to me. Um, it says I need butter today to make my lusakat buns and my Christmas biscuits. Grumbled one elderly Norwegian. Oh no! Don't don't make the grandmas mad. I brought up my four children <laughs> under German occupation, but this is nothing like that. Like it's worse than German <laughs> occupation. It's worse than the Nazis. At least when the Nazis were here, we had butter. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mess with grandmas. That's all I have to say. Um, <laughs> this is worse than the Nazis in 2011. <laughs> oh my gosh! How old would she have been? She says she raised her children, four children under German occupation. What? So she's very old. She's very old. Um, the shortage caused soaring prices, and store stocks of butter ran out within minutes of delivery. Minutes. What? How? Minutes. How did this happen? They're waiting outside of the store for it to open. They're going to start rioting. Get the delivery. Um, it says the search for butter became almost a national pastime. Um, some people were selling butter on online auction rooms. Oh, no. Um, oh no! And then other people, it was a it was a PR opportunity. The the profiteers of the crisis. Enterprising Danish dairy businessman Carl Christian Lund <laughs> sought to butter up his country's Norwegian no. neighbors by handing out two thousand packets of free product in Kristiansand and Oslo, Denmark. Carl, <laughs> Carl, <laughs> Carl. The situation in Scandinavia worsened over the weekend as Norwegian government attempted to cling to its power in the face of a severe <laughs> butter shortage. Uh, Brought low by butter. They arrested two Swedes who had been attempting to smuggle 550 pounds of butter over the border. I was going to ask, like, how is Sweden getting in on this game? Because they're neighbors. They should yes. be. They should be way more into this. Denmark, Denmark too. I mean, they just have a ferry ride. It's really close. Uh, still. Um, Unconfirmed reports of butter hoarding warlords what? <laughs> in the north of Norway you butter hoarder. have emerged <laughs> as authorities remain unwilling to even estimate the number of deaths the crisis has caused. Butter lords. <laughs> this is like, must 
be sarcastic? Because they start talking about deaths in the crisis. I don't think anyone died. I mean, it was worse than the occupation, Alexis. Uh, I guess so. Uh, a Russian man was caught at the border with almost 200 pounds of illicit oh butter. My. Illicit butter. What made it illicit? It's not from Norway. Um, Are you not allowed to bring in foreign butter? Let's wait. Oh, no. The prices has gotten as high as 3,000 kroner, $515 for half a kilo of almost unused butter. Almost unused? Almost. We uh, we yawned in it, but it's pretty good. So. I mean, I like using my toast this morning, just but it's just like one scoop. Out yeah, of it. it's fine. There, you have a little grooves from the butter knife, but it's it's usable. There's also another report about this. I think the same Russian guy. Um, oh, from a Russian. Man. Yeah, it's a 90 kilograms or 20 or 200 pounds of butter um, from Germany into Norway. Which I was like, why is the Russian and the German to the Norway with the butter? I <sighs> just. They, they see an opportunity. <laughs> but I put this in here again because it says, Food Safety Authority then warned people not to buy butter from strangers. Oh, no. <laughs> like the idea that you have to tell your citizens, please don't buy butter from strangers. Don't. We know you're tempted. They're see, like, hell no. We're I would buy the... butter whenever we can. <laughs> I was talking to Kate about this because we were listening to the second season of Serial, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like we got to the second episode where they call the Taliban. And um, I was like, man... And I'm like, that's America versus Norway. Norway's like, please don't buy butter from strangers. And America's like, please don't call the Taliban on the phone. Could you maybe not do that? You know they're our enemies, right? Can you just not call them? <laughs> and you call them, they're like, oh, uh, yes, hi. It's so nice to, nice to talk to you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for being so polite. <laughs> oh, ridiculous. So there are also weird things in America, too. Please, please tell me how this happened. I Just hold on. No, you need to know right now. I'm so curious. Um, a Norwegian newspaper sought to attract new subscribers by offering them half a kilo of butter. What? While students auctioned butter on the internet to raise funds for graduation parties. How long did this last? Um, like a couple months. Okay. So it wasn't just like the Christmas weekend. No. Um, on the Swedish side of the southeastern border at the Svinesund, stores reported selling 20 times as much butter as normal, with 9 out of 10 buyers being Norwegian. Oh, my. Danish airports and ferries traveling between Norway and Denmark have started offering butter in their duty-free shops. Ah, <laughs> uh, smart. Not nice. Uh, Norwegian and Danish television recently broadcast live coverage of Danes handing out 2,000 kilograms of free butter, what? which was that guy from earlier, Carl. Carl. Um, and there's a quote from here that says, It seems more than a little absurd for one of the richest countries on Earth, per capita of GDP, only Luxembourg and tiny Liechtenstein have it beat, to be rationing a basic household commodity, which is what's happening. They got all that oil money. What's wrong with you? So who is responsible for the shortage, Haley? Who is responsible? I mean, I think it's probably those foreigners. <laughs> probably. <laughs> it's probably those Italian anarchists. The dairy farmers of Norway uh-huh. blame Norway's dairy cooperative, Tyne, for not informing them early enough of the higher demand quotas and for sending product overseas even as a shortage loomed. So they're selling their butter overseas, even though, like, they can tell that they're probably going to run out, is what they're saying. How, how do you know that ahead of time? I mean, you can look at, I mean, you I can just, see your stores, I guess. And they're saying, like, clearly sure. there's less and the quotas were higher. Mm-hmm. So, like, you should be able to figure it out. But some logistics guy is not helping. Tyne, the company, blames a combination of bad weather, high demand arising from the popularity of the low-carb diet craze. 
Mm. People are eating butter more. That Atkins diet. Mm-hmm. It's killing us. <laughs> Atkins is to blame. It said demand had risen by 30%, and Norwegian cows produced 20, um, 20 fewer liters of milk this year compared to last year. I think it's 20 million fewer liters of milk. So why can't they import more? Hold on. Um, uh, I hate waiting. The wet summer resulted in poor quality animal feed, and that affected the milk. That's why they're saying the weather. Sure. That's a problem. Um, But this person quotes, and I clearly agree with him, um, the problem is more to do with lack of competition in the market. Mm -hmm. He said, Tyne is a monopolistic in the market as a result of outdated post-war regulatory regimes in a concentrated market with high entry barriers. Well, that's why it hasn't been this bad since the occupation. Right. Because that, that's when the rules. Tyne produces 90% of Norwegian butter and is a government-appointed agency that regulates the market. Oh, okay. As a result of the butter crisis, Norwegian uh, retailers lost an ad- estimated uh, 43 million NOK, which is like their currency. Um, the Progress Party <laughs> has demanded that Tyne compensate the retailers for their losses. Mm. Um, I mean, when you're basically a government entity, people can start demanding that of you. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's a political party that's saying, and I think the one in power saying you need to do this. Um, the dairy industry estimated a deficit of 500 to a thousand tons while the demand for butter had increased by 30%. Wow. So they, they had a huge deficit from the year before and the demand had increased a significant amount. Um, they bought... a thousand more tons of butter so far in 2011 than in the same period the year before. Oh wow! So they're they're buying way more butter and yeah. there's way less. Um, and they were driving to Sweden or ferrying to Denmark to get what they needed. Um, and uh, it says the dairy industry structure was created after the Second World War to keep prices high to protect small farms. But according to critics, it is the de facto monopoly that failed to meet the consumer's needs. Sure. Um, which, yeah, if you only have one group producing everything, and they're, like, apparently they started letting other countries sell them butter, um, but they they obviously had, like, really high um, tariffs yeah. on all of it because they want to sell their own butter to their own people, mm-hmm. which is fair when you're, like, in a small country um, and you're trying to keep those industries going because, like, clearly they could import their butter, like, from us and it'd be way cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, but they want those people who are in those professions to be able to do it and to make money and succeed, which we do, too. Like, every country country does that yeah um you'll get like subsidies and stuff for your farming um so that even if you have a bad year it's fine but it's like to such an extreme level with 90 percent of it being there and their tariffs are so high that nobody wants to sell them butter Mm -hmm. um that even like in december when they were like oh this is really bad like clearly really bad um they lowered the tariffs but they did it too late and they said they would only lower it for that month oh no so like because like denmark was like oh we'll sell you some right and then because like uh, Nordic countries help each other out a lot. Like Northern Europe, they they're a really like cohesive yeah. group right now. They, they fight um, like family, but they support each other like family. Right. Um, they're they're much more united than probably the entire rest of Europe. Um, well, and uh, I mean that's not that hard. Mm-hmm. But like they they could they could. Uh-huh. You know how like um, 
like the European Union kind of tries to unite all, everybody in there, but like they they aren't that united in the European Union. I think compared to like the Nordic countries have their own like assembly yeah. <laughs> where they meet together right. separately of everyone entirely. They're like homogenous Nordic group, right? Group. And they have meetings just about them. Yeah, and they like invite the Balkan or not uh, um, Baltic Baltic countries. Yeah, I was like, what the what's the word? Um, <laughs> Who the hell are those little ones? Yeah, you know, little way in Estonia and Latvia. Yeah, they'll invite them to like be at the meeting, but they're not allowed to talk. <laughs> uh, they're okay. like, you can see what we're doing. Yeah. You're close enough that you we're, like, you can, but they're the only other countries you invited to these meetings. Right. All right, put on your duct tape. Otherwise, it's Norway, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, and Iceland, I think. Um, and those three get to just sit quietly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Observe. Um, but so they're, they're, they're pretty much a, like, homogenous group as far as, like, a lot of cultural stuff, and they really take care of each other, um, which is why Denmark's like, yeah, I'll sell you butter. It's fine. I will help you out, bro. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they're only willing to lower it for a month, and they're like, that doesn't work, mm-hmm. like, with our business. Yeah. <laughs> so, no. Um, and clearly, like, they were helping. Like, there are people in Denmark who are handing out butter. They're putting in their duty-free stores, you know, which obviously they're benefiting from, but, like, they don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, like, Sweden is, uh, like, stocking a whole bunch more butter in their stores um, because they know people are coming out of town for it and they need it. Um, but, yeah, Norway kind of just, like, shot themselves in the foot as far as, like, the way they had things set up. And then they didn't help themselves even during the crisis when it was happening. Um, and that's how you have a butter crisis in 2011. <laughs> When you're the richest, third richest country per capita in the world. Oh, it happens. It happens. And the only countries that beat them are tiny baby countries like, that barely exist. Ones that only got on the list because of, like, their capita is small. Right. They're yeah. so small. It's very easy like, to win. Luxembourg because- <laughs> is basically France. And Liechtenstein is basically France or Sweden. Or uh, Switzerland. Switzerland. You have, like, five citizens. Yeah, they're tiny. I mean, they're beautiful. <laughs> they're beautiful, tiny little places. Beautiful, tiny, rich places. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It is, as, as far as, like, not to say they're not real countries, but as far as, like... <laughs> they're um, not real countries. As, as far as, like... What kind of country sig- gatekeeping is Significant, this? like, le- decently sized countries go. Like, Norway is the richest country in the world. Yeah. This is much harder to be... Yeah, per capita anything when you have a lot of people. Right. And Norway doesn't have a lot of people, but, like, I mean, they have as much people or the equivalent of people that their neighbors do, mm-hmm. and they're still richer than them yep. because of their oil. Because of that coastline. Mm, that sexy coastline. Mm-hmm. Getting that North Sea oil. Coastline. <laughs> no way. And, well, and they, like, don't have... it's Their people are really easy to take care of because they don't have that many. Mm-hmm. Um, homogenous. They're very homogenous. And they have had very few conflicts with anyone in the last, you know, 200 years. Mm-hmm. And in those conflicts, most of them, they were like, and this is, I'm not insulting them in any way. That's a good thing. That's a good um, thing. Good for you, Norway. Most of those conflicts they were in, they were not, like, <coughs> humongously expensive to them or significant, like, burden on them specifically. So Brought low by butter. <sighs> butter just capping you right at the knees. Right in the knees. And you got to be careful. Anything that impacts that grandmother demographic is going to be especially savage. I suffered German occupation, and this is worse. <laughs> I can't believe that. That's was. amazing. Uh, That's one of the best quotes I've ever heard. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she probably says that about everything, though. Probably. It's like, like 
Um, if there's tr- like more traffic than usual on the road, it's like it wasn't this bad in the war. And it's like because there were no cars. <laughs> <laughs> no one could almost at all. Um, it's, it's like people who are like you know they can't untangle this phone cord, but they can put a man on the moon. <laughs> yeah. Like, what a man. You don't have to be a brain surgeon. <laughs> a rocket scientist. You're a rocket scientist, but I can't get my butter from my biscuit. You gotta be Nicole Sharp, the rocket scientist, <laughs> fluid dynamicist. Oh my gosh. Which is especially funny because we have a we had a huge surge in German listeners. Yep. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, you're beating Canada now. Congratulations. Yeah, you're beating Canada. Canada, it's, you need to uh, step it up. By by percentage, our most listening listener countries are U.S., Japan. Obviously. Yeah, Japan is Japan. a lot. Japan's by, surpassed, like, 200 downloads now. Yeah, and, like, Crazy. the difference between second place and third place is considerable. Right. It's, uh, like, 212 downloads and then, like, 70 from Germany. Yeah. That's a lot from Germany. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Germany. For awesome. liking us. Uh, That's cool. Have people listen to the butter crisis where we make fun of Norwegian grandmothers who <laughs> right. use U.S. hyperbole. And I was setting up, a, or I was researching an episode for Canada because I said we would do the, like episodes about people who listen the most, right, for those countries. But now I did all this research and now Germany's beating you. And so I'm like, ugh. I mean. I mean, I'm still going to do the episode when, Canada, when we do it. We love but. you because you're our, our little brother, but Canada. We need you to step it up. Canada. But Germany, you're killing it. And I'm going to find something hilarious about German history. Just you wait. Yeah, even better than uh, von Steuben. Or maybe you should. Maybe I should? Why me? Because I did the Japan and I was going to do the oh, Canada. Okay. So maybe you should do German. Oh, yeah, I can do German. I'm sure you can. I can do it real good. Or we could both do it. Or uh, or German listeners, send us in like the funniest thing that you know about your country. Oh, please do. That'd be so great. That's at our uh, email address, hystericalhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Any suggestion would be great from any listeners, yeah. but especially if you're German, send us your funny stuff. Yeah. Or, uh, we were curious about this. How did you hear about this podcast? Yeah, please let us know if you're from not America. Yeah. Uh, I guess even if you are from America, you know, mm-hmm. I'd like to know how you figured it out. But, like, we're almost positive we know nobody in Japan or Germany. <laughs> right. Um, so we're fascinated that... Uh, mm-hmm. You are finding this somehow and right. enjoying it apparently, mm-hmm. which I'm glad. But, That's cool. You know, maybe they're just like sending it off to their friends and they're like, "This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard." Let's maybe listen to this, but they do listen. Uh, That's but they, all that matters to me. You do listen, which is great. I don't know whether it's malicious or not, but I'm fine with it either way. Yeah, you're still listening, and you're not like sending me a lot of hate mail. I know, so it's like you're still enjoying the stupidestness, stupid stupidityness, right? And if you send it in German, we won't be able to read it. But, you know, if you don't want to send one because your English isn't great, like, we don't care. Uh, We're not going to read them on (laughs) the podcast, so we won't make fun of you. Oh, I'll read it. You can make fun of me. Yeah. I'll edit it out. It's okay. I'll put it through Google Translate, and it'll be hilarious. Oh, that would be really funny. (laughs) (laughs) They're just going to send us nonsense words. Maybe we should do, like... Anything we get, we'll put it through the language generator or translator like for Babelfish. all four all four of the top countries. Oh, we're gonna. Oh no! So it'll go through English and then Japanese into German into English again for Canada. That'd be terrible. It'll be really good. Great. Please send us email so I can try that. <laughs> but thank you for joining us. Uh, you can find this podcast on our website, hystericalhistory.simplecast.fm. Um, and it has our links to our Twitter and our Facebook and all those things on there. Uh, so you can listen there and direct people there if you want them to listen to. Yeah, and you should uh, stay tuned because um, next episode is going to be real good. Yep. 
Yeah. Or really bad. <laughs> really good bad. Yep. Especially bad good. Like schadenfreude, you know. Oh, a, oh yeah. I mean... For our German listeners. I'm going to be involved in it, and I'm getting schadenfreude just yeah. by, like, thinking about our future selves. Yeah. Like, we're so. going to suffer so good. Remember that we suffered. <laughs> Remember that we suffered. Uh, bye. 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 bye.